Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. Hey guys, and welcome to the Moms of Murder podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. How are you? Doing really well. Thanks for asking. <laughs> well, it seems like the polite thing to do at this point. So. <laughs> it actually helps me with editing, so I always appreciate it. I can line our stuff up a lot better when you start the same. If you go off rogue, it's all going to be a mess. So thank you. Perfect. Perfect. So before we get into today's episode, I just want to quickly say that we're still doing that weird thing on Patreon where <laughs> we watch Big Brother and talk about it. And I guess this has been kind of a crazy week for Big Brother. I haven't watched any of Mandy. the episodes yet. Do you not know who has been <laughs> evicted? Not yet. I'm going to watch right after we record this episode. And then who's HOH and who has the power of veto. It's crazy. I wasn't feeling great yesterday, and I just had the live feed on in the background and was listening, or the day before, and it was insane. I'm like so pumped up. So if you're on Patreon, please listen to it because we don't know why we did it. Well, sometimes I have bad ideas, and this was one of them. Yeah. And so <laughs> now, now we're signed on to this for at least for another week and a half. So listen to it, comment, let us know you're there. We'd appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And if you're not on Patreon and you want to be, you can find that at patreon.com slash moms and murder podcast. So getting right into the episode this week, this story was actually suggested to us by somebody through our Facebook group, which is where we get a lot of case suggestions and 
I sometimes find some really interesting ones in there. You guys are really awesome at sending those interesting ones our way. So this one is kind of like two cases in one. Two for one. Yeah, it is. It's like a two for one. So thank you for stopping by this week. You are getting a freebie with your regularly scheduled programming. Which is great because last time we divided one case into two. So yeah, <laughs> so this is perfect. To get us started, we're going to talk about August of 1993. An 80-year-old man named Edward Fonder III disappeared from his home on his 11-acre property. At the time of his disappearance, his daughter, Mary Jane Fonder, was living with him, although their father-daughter relationship was a little bit strained. According to Mary Jane, she woke up at seven o'clock that morning and made breakfast before going back to bed. She claimed to have heard her father rummaging around the kitchen before leaving the house. And she says that she believed he had gone to the end of the driveway to pick up the newspaper and just drifted off back to sleep. But when she woke up, she realized that her father was nowhere to be found. And after searching for him for a short while, she eventually called 911 around 11 a.m. to report the elderly man missing. Investigators showed up with bloodhounds and completed a thorough search, but the dogs were only able to track the man's scent as far as the driveway before they lost it. It was noticed that Edward had apparently left the house without any of his belongings, including some very important medication that was necessary to keep him alive. He had actually just had heart surgery and was taking medication that he could not survive more than 10 days without, so it was really unlikely that he would take off and leave without that. He had received two hip replacements in the past, and because of that, he had metal hips, I guess. That sounds... Yeah, (laughs) there's other ways to say it, but I'm not able to think about it. And I'm not going to throw a word out there right now. (laughs) Bionic. Yeah, there you go. So he was unable to walk very well. And he used a cane, which was the only thing that he appeared to have taken with him. Mary Jane and her brother had discussed with the police the possibility that their elderly dad had taken his own life or left on his own accord because he was allegedly depressed over his wife's death and his own declining health. When Mary Jane was asked whether or not she could have had something to do with her father's disappearance, she told the police that it was possible she did something, but she couldn't remember because she was taking several medications at this time. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's possible? Yeah. (laughs) You don't trust yourself enough to be like, definitely didn't do it. You're just like, well, there's some medication, so could have killed him. Not sure. Yeah, so we will get into all of Mary Jane (laughs) and her personality, but she was kind of very just like nonchalant, I guess, about all of it. And it's just, you know, she would say to the officers like, well... I don't remember doing anything, but could I have? Yeah, maybe. But I don't think I did. But I could have. Like, it was kind of one of those, yeah. you know, like, where it was. It, it just it immediately, com- yeah, it, it immediately comes across suspicious and strange whenever you right. have somebody saying things like that. So she said she didn't have any recollection of doing anything to her dad, as I just said, but that she did have memories of killing her dog and a few of the family cats. So this jump is not that far anymore. No, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. So investigators did find the corpse of a dog in the freezer that they later determined had died from an overdose of diabetes medication. The home itself was in complete disarray with some of the investigators that responded calling it a hoarder situation. And they said you could barely even walk. There was just wall-to-wall stuff. One officer noticed several items that looked as though they had come out of the trunk of Mary Jane's car. So they checked her trunk and 
it was actually strangely completely empty, except for just one hubcap. But Mary Jane had an excuse for this. She said that she had recently done her laundry and had cleared out her trunk to make room for it. That does not make any sense. (laughs) I mean, I guess if you go to a laundromat and maybe you like literally have a hoarder amount of laundry that you have done and you need to put it in your trunk to transport it back home, that's literally the only thing I could think of. Yeah, maybe making room for more hoarding, I guess, but I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. While searching the home, detectives also found a calendar in Mary Jane's possession that had an X on the date August 25th and the time 8 a.m. penciled in, but she was unable to tell the detectives why she had marked that date and time. Initially, it wasn't believed that Mary Jane had anything to do with her father's disappearance, but as time went on and police continued interviewing her, it became clear that something about her just was not right. One officer described Mary Jane as eclectic, drama-like, and a little bizarre. Same. <laughs> that is totally you, Melissa. Those are right? all words. Those are all this words. This was for you. terrifying. This entire story, I was like, "Oh my gosh, I'm Mary Jane." <laughs> yeah. Despite multiple search efforts and interviews with Mary Jane and her brother, the case went cold, and Edward nor his remains were ever located. But that would not be the last time that Mary Jane Fonder found herself at the center of an investigation in Springfield, Pennsylvania. And before we get into the heart of this week's story, we're going to tell you all about where these two events took place in this week's segment of. We Googled this city. So I would like to preface this by saying that sometimes I write these and I think, Melissa, you'll come up with something better and then you'll add it. This week, I didn't. And so I'm very concerned with how this one ends. So bear with me. <laughs> I'm going to get a lot good. of heat for it. It's it's really never good. So Springfield, Pennsylvania is located in Delaware County on the eastern side of the state with a population of 24,000 as of the 2010 census. It's also located about eight miles from the next big city, which is Philadelphia. We've reached another town where there's really not a ton of fun facts about, um, but don't worry, I've made nothing out of nothing. So Springfield, Pennsylvania is actually a sister city with Vancouver, Canada. We still don't understand sister cities. I meant to Google it. It seems to be like a cultural thing where you swap things. I don't know. It just doesn't seem to. We could do without sister studies, let's be honest. But Vancouver, Canada. Oh, Canada, we love you. If the name Springfield sounds familiar, that could be because it's also the name of the fictitious town in The Simpsons. Oh. Yeah, there you go. There's basically one fact. Al Martino, who was most famous for his role as Johnny Fontaine in both Godfather 1 and 2, um, had a home there, and he actually died in a childhood home in Springfield, Pennsylvania in 2009. And now, hold on, I got to pump myself up for this. I can do it. And now, Mandy, I'm not sure if you're ready to continue with the episode, but if you're not, I'm going to make an offer you can't refuse. (laughs) And that is my Marlo Brandon impression. And please, dear God, go. Just talk. Say say words. So as we said before, the years continue to pass and the disappearance of Edward Fonder III remained a cold case, although his daughter Mary Jane Fonder was considered a primary suspect in his disappearance. So we're going to back it up a little bit and talk about Mary Jane, who she was, and how we even got to this point. Mary Jane was born on July 5th, 1942 to Alice and Edward Fonder. She had one brother who was Edward IV, who was raised with her in Philadelphia. Edward Fonder III was a machinist and Alice was a proofreader. Mary Jane had a typical childhood where she and her brother spent time at church and at their grandmother's house where they played with their cousins and friends. 
But when she was eight years old, things began to change and she started to have emotional outbursts and struggled in school. When Mary Jane was 16, her brother moved away for college, which left Mary Jane feeling like she had nobody to talk to. She missed her brother terribly and the bond that they had shared. As she struggled with not having her brother around, her grades began to slip and she developed anxiety in crowds. Later that year, she made an attempt on her own life by overdosing on chloral hydrate, which is a medication used to treat anxiety and insomnia. She was hospitalized for a month before she was considered mentally stable enough to go home. Following the attempt on her life, Mary Jane dropped out of high school and worked odd jobs, including at a ceramics studio, a department store, knitting factories, and at a publishing company where she worked for eight years, which was the longest she ever held the same job. One of Mary Jane's favorite ways to escape her reality was by visiting the cabin on the 11 acres of land that her parents had purchased when she was younger. She preferred life in the country more than the life she had in Philadelphia. But neighbors and friends of the family recall that things weren't always perfect for the Fonders and that the Fonder parents were often arguing with each other and with their kids. Due to her lack of social skills and her emotional issues, Mary Jane was never able to form romantic relationships and didn't really begin dating at all until she was in her late 30s. None of the men that she dated turned out to be serious or long term. One of Mary Jane's friends, Rosalie, said that Mary Jane was a very lonely person and she only ever wanted someone to settle down and be happy with. She switched apartments as often as she switched jobs, even living in some questionable neighborhoods that led her to being mugged and assaulted. In 1981, her parents moved to the country home permanently, where they both began to decline in health. In 1987, when Mary Jane was 45, she moved to Springfield Township to help provide care for her parents in their old age. Several years later, her mother suffered circulation problems and needed a leg amputation, but the surgery went awry and left her in a coma for four months before she passed away. Following Alice's death, Ed Fonder became angry and depressed and took much of this out on Mary Jane. After a while, he barely spoke to his daughter at all, aside from the occasional snarky remark. The 80-year-old man was pretty much confined to his home due to not being able to walk without his cane, but he had started to regain some of his strength and was able to take short walks around the property. Then, on August 26th, he went missing. Rumors spread throughout the community that the garbage man had made a comment about some of the Fonder's trash bags being really heavy and smelly, which led to more rumors that Mary Jane had actually disposed of the body in trash bags. Another rumor was that the garbage truck actually ran over Ed Fonder and then tossed his body in the back to cover it up. Now that's a rumor. Yeah. like <laughs> That's a real big one there. In the year following the disappearance, there were several unconfirmed sightings of Ed, but the leads ended up going nowhere. In April of 1994, Ed's wallet was found in a mailbox with all of its contents still inside, but the whole thing had been wiped clean of fingerprints. A common thing that came up during police interviews with Mary Jane was the notion that she was taking a number of prescription medications at the time of her father's disappearance, and because of that, she could have done something to him, although she said she did not remember. Eventually, police exhausted all of their options for connecting Mary Jane or really anyone else to Ed's disappearance, and the case went completely cold. But the investigation would get a little revival several years later in 2008, when Mary Jane once again found herself in a sticky situation. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. Life comes at you fast. But when you're looking for counseling, minutes can feel like hours and hours can feel like days. You want help quickly, but how will it fit into your schedule? Our problems rarely arise during normal work hours, so why is counseling mainly available during normal business hours? 
BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or maybe something that's preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp has you covered and at times that are convenient for you. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in issues such as depression, anxiety, relationships, trauma, grief, and more. You can connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. You can schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist without ever having to leave the house in real pants. BetterHelp is secure, convenient, and professional. If you ever find you want to change counselors, you can do so at any time with no additional charge. Financial aid is also available to those who qualify. Best of all, it is truly an affordable option, and Moms and Murder listeners get 10% off your first month. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love within 24 hours. Go to betterhelp.com moms and use discount code moms for 10% off your first month. Again, for 10% off your first month, go to betterhelp.com moms and use discount code moms. My to-do list is becoming my to-do book, and between kids' choir, kids' birthday parties, and just kids in general, life can be chaotic. The last thing I want to do, or have time to do, is drag the family to showroom floors around town to look at furniture and decor. While our modern life may not be simple, a modern home can be. All Modern is an online-only destination for everything modern, and best of all, it's priced for real life. I needed to buy a new bed frame for my daughter, and frankly, the last thing I wanted to do was go into an actual store and look for it. All Modern was so simple to shop, and you can browse a shop from really your home or on the go, and you can easily find what you need, and you get it quick. All furniture has fast and free shipping. I'll say it again for those in the back. Free shipping. The bed was delivered to my house in just three days, as opposed to the three weeks I waited for a couch I bought last year. And it's really so beautiful and was super easy to set up. I found similar beds for more than two times the price at other places I had searched. All Modern offers modern styles from mid-century and Scandinavian to minimalist. In-room delivery and assembly is also available. All Modern, the style you love, the prices you want, when you want it. It's that simple. For 10% off your first purchase at allmodern.com, use the promo code MOMS. That's promo code MOMS. And you're already on your phone, so check it out. You could find your next sofa before the end of this podcast. And now back to the episode. By 2008, Mary Jane had successfully moved on with her life since the passing of both of her parents. She was now 65 years old and dedicated much of her time to serving in her church, helping with the communion and singing in the choir. Then, on January 23rd, a fellow member of the church congregation was found dead in the church office, leaving the community shaken and in fear over having a murderer on the loose in their quiet town. Judy Zellner, the church secretary, arrived to open the church that afternoon, but realized that the door was already unlocked and open. This was strange to her because that door was always to be kept locked, and everybody in the church really knew that. She stepped inside the hallway and noticed that the light was on in the office, although the office door was shut. She didn't see anybody sitting behind the desk, so she assumed that the pastor of the church must have been somewhere in the building, and maybe he had been in the office and had left the light on. So she set her purse and coat down and made her way upstairs to go find the pastor. When she got to the pastor's office, the door was locked and the lights were off, which surprised her because now she had no idea who had been in the main office before her that morning. That's got to be terrifying to know yeah. like everyone's schedule and how things go. And then you're just terrified. I mean, really, you, you'd have to be freaked out. Yeah, well, it definitely would be strange. Yeah. But... But also you're at your church. So I can also think like I would be like, well, probably nothing has happened here, you know? 
The church had recently hired a new secretary, so Judy thought maybe she was there somewhere, and she continued about her business gathering cleaning supplies and getting ready to clean the office. As she made her way towards the filing cabinet, she was shocked and startled to see that there was a woman lying on the floor behind the desk surrounded by blood. Judy noticed that the woman appeared to have been shot in the head and did not appear to be breathing. She frantically ran outside and dialed 911, while horrifying thoughts ran through her mind. She didn't know who would have done something so horrific inside of her church or if the person responsible could still be inside or if she herself could be in danger. Paramedics arrived and noticed that the injured woman was breathing but barely clinging to life. As they moved her onto the backboard and prepared to load her onto the ambulance, Judy realized that the victim was her dear friend, Rhonda. Rhonda Smith was 42 years old and had been a member of the Trinity Evangelical Church for two years, where she attended with both of her parents. Rhonda was the youngest child of three, and she was the only girl. She was a fearless child who loved animals, but also had a shy and reserved side. She got along really well with her two brothers, but she kept to herself a lot because there weren't many other girls in the neighborhood to play with. She did well in school and earned mostly A's and B's, and in high school she found new interests in basket weaving, horseback riding, and acting. She attended Northampton Community College and graduated in 1988 with an AA in secretarial science. She was the first person in her family to attend college. From there, she went on to Bloomsburg University and continued working while still making time to travel, and she stayed on track to getting a teaching certification in business education. But something changed in Rhonda during this time. She began losing her appetite and developed insomnia and deep feelings of paranoia and became convinced that even her closest friends and family could not be trusted. In November of 1991, it all came to a head when Rhonda suffered what she referred to as a total emotional breaking point after almost getting into a car accident on the way to one of her national exams. Her constant anxiety increased to the point where she believed there were secret cameras in her apartment and she eventually had to move back in with her parents. Rhonda's mental and emotional state continued to deteriorate and she was eventually diagnosed with bipolar disorder in November of 1991. Having bipolar disorder was hard for Rhonda to accept. She did get a degree from Bloomsburg University, but it was not the one she was working towards. She got a degree in business administration, and although she attempted to take the teaching certification exams several times, the symptoms of her bipolar would prevent her from doing so. Her dad described it in something I read as her being a fighter, that she always would get knocked down in life. She would always get back up, always get back up, but but life really did kind of knock her down quite a bit. Yeah. Over the next several years, Rhonda was hospitalized numerous times, but she never gave up on building a life for herself in spite of her struggles. Because she had some difficulty keeping a job, she was often in financial trouble, but she insisted on living on her own and paying her own way, although she maintained a close physical and emotional relationship with her parents. When they started attending the Trinity Evangelical Church, Rhonda flourished. She loved the pastor, the congregation, and she began making new friends. Before long, she was singing in the choir and involving herself more and more into the church. Eventually, Rhonda confided about her financial troubles to the pastor, Gregory Shreves. He counseled her on several occasions, and he asked the congregation to help Rhonda. She received a few thousand dollars from the church, which she used to pay her rent, electricity bill, and phone bill. She was so grateful for the help of the church that she stood in front of the congregation to thank them all just two weeks before she was found shot to death. Because of Rhonda's history with bipolar disorder and extreme bouts of depression, investigators initially wondered whether or not she may have taken her own life. The theory seemed absolutely ridiculous to those who knew her, especially because of the fact that there was no gun found at the crime scene. 
But police theorized that if someone had stumbled upon a suicide in the church, they could have removed the gun themselves so that it looked like a murder instead. Because many in Rhonda's church believe that taking your own life is a sin, and friends of Rhonda's may not want her to be remembered that way within the church. In addition to not finding a weapon at the scene, police also really didn't find much of anything else either. There was no evidence that the church had been robbed or that Rhonda had been sexually assaulted. Rhonda's purse was left untouched and the computer she had been working at was still on. Nothing really looked out of place and there were no witnesses that saw anything strange that morning. Investigators did find a bullet lodged in a window pane inside the office, but there were no shell casings anywhere, which led them to believe that the gun used in the shooting must have been a revolver because revolvers retain the shell casings inside instead of ejecting them out. A copper jacket from a second bullet was also found near Rhonda's body. She had been shot twice in the head, and despite advanced life-saving measures, she passed away in the hospital later that day. Because there was no evidence of any other crimes having taken place, investigators knew they had to be dealing with a personal vendetta situation, and they began speaking with all of the people who knew Rhonda, trying to figure out who would have wanted to hurt her. The more people they spoke with, the more clear it became that Rhonda really didn't have any enemies, and she had good relationships with the people who were close to her. On a search through Rhonda's apartment, it was obvious to detectives that Rhonda had been struggling. She did not have a lot of belongings, and her computer wasn't even connected to the internet, so they weren't really going to get a lot of leads there. They did find an address book and started dialing the numbers of Rhonda's friends and past boyfriends, but everyone they spoke to had alibis for the time of her death. Pastor Shreves was questioned, and he told the police that Rhonda had been standing in as a temporary secretary at the church and only came in a few times to help. The day she was murdered, he was away on a retreat, and he said that the only other people that knew that she would be in the office that morning were himself and the church council president, but he also had an alibi. Of course, the pastor was adamant that nobody in the church could be capable of something like this, and he took his profession very seriously, so he was very hesitant to really gossip about any of the members in his congregation. But he did tell police that there was one person at the church who struck him as odd. That person, of course, was Mary Jane Fonder. The pastor didn't remember exactly when he first met Mary Jane, but he came to know her the same way the rest of the church members did. As an eccentric old lady with an interesting appearance, often wearing different wigs and talking everyone's ear off. Many people in the church found Mary Jane to be a little bit annoying and strange, but she was considered harmless and well-intentioned. But at some point, Mary Jane took a liking to Pastor Shreves and became almost obsessive with her admiration. One day, Mary Jane showed up to the pastor's office looking to talk. He invited her in to sit down, and Mary Jane spent over an hour rambling on about her life, telling him how pretty and talented she used to be in her younger years, about her experience with her sick parents, and how her life changed after they were gone. The pastor listened to her without offering up any opinions because he felt like she really just needed to get this out of her system. Um, But then out of nowhere, Mary Jane looked at the pastor and said, you can't deny what's going on between us. What? That's me (laughs) holding a knife and doing stabbing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That is really strange. Right? So the pastor was stunned, and Mary Jane had never expressed any sort of romantic interest in him before, and he certainly hadn't expressed any towards her. He cut their conversation short and Mary Jane left, but she would continue to insert herself into the pastor's life by calling his home daily and leaving messages that were mostly of the, hope you have a really great day variety, but they were all really rambling in length and she would frequently talk for four minutes straight until the machine actually cut her off, only to go back and to leave another four minute message and so on and so on and so on. But that's not where the obsessive behavior ended. 
Pastor Shreves noticed one day that there was extra food in his freezer that he had not bought for himself. He often left his door unlocked, and having food put in his fridge continued to happen a few more times. Okay. <laughs> okay. So uh, when I started reading about this part of the story about, you know, there being like food in there and mm-hmm. everything, I just couldn't stop thinking about that. Um, the gift, the Whoopi Goldberg gift. Oh, you, you in danger, danger, girl. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah. in danger, girl. That is all I could think of when I was reading about this part of the story. What is it? Also, the Julia Roberts movie, um, Sleeping with the Enemy, when she opens her cabinets and she'd been married to like a man that was like super obsessive and all of the cans were turned facing forward and so she knew he had been in her house like (laughs) like it was normally a mess and she (laughs) sees that and that was like the big freak out so I yeah I'm always but if somebody put more food in my freezer I'd probably just like leave a grocery list for next time and just hope for the best So at first, he did not connect the dots that Mary Jane was coming to his house and stocking his fridge, but then one day she called him and he picked up the phone and she asked if he needed any more food. He told her not to do that anymore and he started locking up his house. Mary Jane would then leave the groceries she bought for him on the porch and eventually she became very upset when the pastor refused to take them inside and he just let them sit there and rot, which is very like passive aggressive. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it is. He could have brought him to a like a soup kitchen or something, but I get it. Like yeah. he, you have to be scared of this person. She hasn't done anything to doubt outright, like be violent or anything, but you don't want to give her any, um, no room to yeah. make any moves or anything. But she is like, you look at these pictures of her. She's like a little, she looks like a sweet old lady. Honestly, if you're yeah, just she does. by appearances, you wouldn't think anything. Um, so I get how you'd also not want to be paranoid, but I don't know. Maybe her love language is giving food, but it's really yeah. bizarre. <laughs> Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. 
So when he started leaving this these bags of food outside and not taking them in, Mary Jane, as we said, got really, really upset. So one night she called the pastor up to give him a piece of her mind and let him know that it was wrong to snub someone who was trying to help you. The pastor had enough and told her to stop calling him and even told her to consider finding another church because he did not think that he could be her pastor at all anymore. Mary Jane backed off on the calls and they became less frequent after that, but the pastor remained shaken and very, very uncomfortable with her. Upon hearing the pastor's story about Mary Jane, police finally had something to go on. They paid a visit to Mary Jane's house, but she wasn't home. Instead, her brother answered the door and had an awkward conversation with the detectives before being asked to let Mary Jane know that they were looking to speak with her. Police began to search for information on Mary Jane's past. They found state records that showed that Mary Jane had once purchased a gun in 1994, and it was a 38 caliber Rossi revolver, which immediately sparked their interest as they already felt that the gun used to murder Rhonda was a revolver. Ballistics testing proved that the bullets found at the scene could have been fired from a number of guns, including the type that Mary Jane had purchased. When Mary Jane's phone records were searched, they learned that she had placed three calls to the church on the day before Rhonda was shot. At this point, police began to suspect that Mary Jane was somehow connected to Rhonda's death. It was clear that she was obsessed with the pastor and that she likely owned a gun that matched the alleged murder weapon. As they dug more through Mary Jane's background, they learned that she had been fired from a Denny's restaurant in 1994 for threatening a co-worker. The date particularly stood out to them because it was the same day that records showed that Mary Jane had purchased that gun. Detectives were able to track down some of the former co-workers from the Denny's and were told that Mary Jane was quite strange even back then. She would go from being a nice lady to yelling and screaming out of nowhere. It was now time to corner Mary Jane for questioning, and we're going to get into what happened in the rest of the investigation after one more quick break from this week's sponsors. Monday morning, I woke up, got out of bed, was ready to conquer the day, and then I remembered there was no food in this entire house. Lucky for me, Instacart came to the rescue. I was able to order groceries to be delivered right to my door at a time that was convenient for me. Gone are the days of dragging everyone in the car in the cold or rain or cold rain just to grab a few things for dinner that night. Stay inside, stay dry and warm, and have Instacart shoppers do your shopping for you. Your shopper gathers your groceries with care by selecting excellent produce, and when there's a problem with your order, the Instacart shopper will contact you so you're always in the know. The Instacart shoppers deliver your groceries in as little as one hour or at a time you select. They keep your hot items hot and your cold items cold. If you haven't used Instacart yet, here's how it works. You can download the Instacart app or log on to instacart.com and choose from local and national retailers in your area. You make your list, submit it to Instacart, a shopper gets your list and shops for you, and now all you have to do is wait for your groceries to be delivered right to your door. Try Instacart and get $10 off your first order. To get this limited time offer, go to instacart.com or download the mobile app and enter our promo code MOMS10 at checkout. That's $10 off your first order today at instacart.com or through the mobile app, and don't forget to enter our code MOMS10. And now back to the episode. So police are getting ready to talk to Mary Jane, and the first thing they really notice about her is Mary Jane likes to talk. 
Although she claimed to have nothing to do with Rhonda's death, she told the investigators that she had called up to the church two days before the murder to talk to the pastor and leave him a message, but she was surprised to hear Rhonda pick up the phone. Rhonda told Mary Jane that the pastor was away at a conference and that she was standing in as his secretary for a few days. The officers were totally shocked to learn this. This meant that Mary Jane actually knew that Rhonda had been working at the church office, which made her look even more suspicious. She claimed that she had talked to Rhonda for about 10 minutes, including a conversation about Mary Jane being unhappy living with her brother, and that Rhonda had told her about an apartment next to hers that was vacant. So this lady's being nice to her and like giving her information, you know, to possibly help her. And she's a monster. Yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible, yeah. The officers then asked Mary Jane to tell them about Wednesday, which was the day that Rhonda died, because up to this point, all she wanted to do was talk about the two days before the murder. So Mary Jane told them that on that day, she had a hair appointment at 1130, so she left her house around 1055, which her she said that her brother could actually confirm. After she went and had her hair done, she shopped at Joanne Fabrics and got home around three in the afternoon. The fact that Mary Jane specifically mentioned leaving her home around 10.55 that morning sent chills down the officer's spines. They had previously learned that through a search of the church computer that Rhonda was using, all activity on her computer had ceased at 10.58 a.m., which is when they believed Rhonda was killed. Since Rhonda's suspected time of death had not been made public, the officers thought it was alarming that Mary Jane mentioned it so specifically. Then they asked Mary Jane about her gun, which they told her they knew she had purchased several years before. Mary Jane told them that she had thrown it away a long time ago and that she just got rid of it. The officers pressed her for more information on that because it was definitely not a common thing for people to just throw away a gun. Mary Jane said that she just threw it out of her car window somewhere along the road or maybe in the woods. Officers were horrified and asked her whether or not she was concerned that someone else could have found the gun, like a child or even an adult that may not have had great intentions. And Mary Jane then then changed her story and said she had actually thrown the gun in a lake, specifically Lake Nakamixon in the deep end. Oh, my goodness. This woman. Yeah. I just like how she's like, oh, that doesn't fit. What's going on? Um, yeah. I can, what, if I, what if I tweaked it a little bit? Does that help things? Can I go home now, officer? So she claimed that she had disposed of the gun on the very day that she bought it because she was afraid that police would think she was going to use it to kill her former boss at Denny's because, of course, that was why she got fired. She had threatened someone. And so her story was that when she went to this court hearing for this unemployment hearing, I, I guess it was, she was worried that because she had this gun in her car, like if an officer saw it, then they would immediately be like, hey, you, you're going to commit a murder today, so you're in trouble. That's her story. She said that that's why she got rid of it. But then she told the officers that she had actually fired the gun once after her father disappeared because she was considering taking her own life after his disappearance. And so she said that she fired the gun once in her yard, but the sound of it scared her, so she decided to just get rid of it instead. She told the officers about how Rhonda had gotten help from the church, and she seemed angry and jealous about it as she described it. She said that she didn't know the church was even rallying to help Rhonda until the day that Rhonda stood up and said thank you to the church. The officers could tell that this was a huge point of contention for Mary Jane, and considering everything that she had already just told them, they believed that she had killed Rhonda out of jealousy. All they had to do now was prove it. The officers visited the salon where Mary Jane said she had an appointment on the day of the murder and were able to confirm that she did, in fact, sign in for her appointment at 11.22 a.m. The hairdresser who did her hair specifically remembered Mary Jane because she always wore a wig, but on this particular day, she came in and took the wig off and had her real hair washed and styled. 
In a stroke of pure luck, Mary Jane had accidentally left the wig at the salon that day, which the hairdresser gave to the police, who then sent it off for testing. They were specifically hoping that they would find gunshot residue on the wig, which would prove that Mary Jane had been the one to fire the shots that killed Rhonda. To test their theory even further, the officers decided to drive the route from Mary Jane's house to the church and then to the salon to see if their timeline would fit. They determined that it was about a five-minute drive from her house to the church and about 15 minutes from the church to the salon, so they believed it was entirely possible for Mary Jane to have left her home around 10.50, drove to the church, shot Rhonda at 10.58, and then immediately got into her car and drove to the salon. Unfortunately, when police got the results back from Mary Jane's wig, it was negative for gunshot residue, but they still believe that she was the prime suspect in the murder, and they brought her into the police station for another interview. This time, she told officers a little more about her true feelings on Rhonda. She said that she believed Rhonda was getting special treatment in the church because she was secretly having a romantic relationship with the pastor. She told the detectives that Rhonda gave her bad vibes. At some point during this interview, Mary Jane began to realize that she was the suspect and the police were investigating her, and she quickly became defensive and started to show her darker side. The interview lasted four hours, and police felt they were really closing in on her, but they knew that without the murder weapon, it would be hard to prove any of this. So they set out to find the missing gun, knowing that Mary Jane could have had it anywhere or could have truly disposed of it anywhere. The search was slow and painstaking, and two months went by. Police searched Mary Jane's car, thinking they might find some luck there, like maybe there would be some gunpowder residue that had transferred from her clothing into her car. During this time, other members of the church had noticed weird behavior from Mary Jane. She was trying to get involved and help in the church a lot more and would even attend both services sometimes, which actually made the pastor really, really nervous. He knew that she was suspected in the murder and pretty much just worried that she could stand up anytime and kill him next. That would be so terrifying. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Yeah, well, he, that's what he was saying. Like, any anytime he would, like, look out into the congregation and just see her sitting there, he would just be like, oh, my gosh, like, this woman is capable of who knows what. I would be so scared. Then, by sheer luck, there was a major break in the case. A father and his son had been out fishing when the eight-year-old boy saw a gun on the water's edge. The father immediately took the gun to state police, who then asked if he could show them exactly where he had found it. Police searched the area and found spent shell casings and more ammunition in the water. They then ran the gun's serial number through the system, and to nobody's surprise, it came back as being registered to Mary Jane Fonder. Poor Mary Jane. She, yeah. this is the only time I feel bad for her, thinking of this little old lady going to a lake to dispose of a gun. And you know, she's like trying her heart out to throw it as far into the water and literally just lands like on the bank. I actually do not feel bad for Mary Jane at all, but I'm like, maybe murder is a young man's game. You really can't do yeah. that. <laughs> That's so true. Suspiciously, the gun showed no signs that it had been submerged in water for years, <gasps> as Mary Jane had claimed. And they believed that she had, in fact, thrown the gun into the lake right after using it to, to kill Rhonda. Ballistics testing confirmed that the bullets found in the church office were a match to the revolver registered to Mary Jane. And on April 1st, 2008, she was placed under arrest and charged with first degree murder. After she was arrested, more test results had come in that showed that there was gun residue inside of her car. Her brother also told police that Mary Jane had asked to borrow his car after hers was first impounded and that he had written down the mileage uh, before and after she took it and that it the miles that she had put on it were well within the range for Mary Jane to have driven down to the lake to dispose of the gun. The police acted like this was totally normal that this man just wrote down right? mileage in his little composition book. 
I guess people do that. Do you do that? My father-in-law does it for work. Like, he's very good about that. But I don't know anyone else that writes down their mileage. But that's kind of like checkbooks. Like, I don't know a lot of people my age that balance their checkbooks. Like, actually, like, no. my mom sits down and does her checkbook. I'm like, I just hope for the best. Just, you know, yeah. use your debit well, card. Why do you need to? I just log into my online banking. You don't right. You that. can see everything. But then you don't always know. Like, when something hits and it surprises you, um, that's always a little terrifying. But that's just because I yeah. have a terrible memory. <laughs> but no, I get I get like, but I think maybe that was just like his personality because he seemed a little quirky too. Yeah. Police believe that Mary Jane killed Rhonda out of a jealous rage after convincing herself that there was a secret love affair going on between her and the pastor. Nine months after Rhonda's murder, Mary Jane went on trial and was found guilty of first degree murder. When she was sentenced to life in prison, she stood up and told the court that she didn't kill Rhonda and that she thought she was a lovely person. She said, I'm quoting this, I'm sorry she's gone, but in the same respect, I will be gone too. I'm the second person in the church to be murdered by the system. I mean, come on. Calm down there, Mary Jane. Calm down. Yeah, that is a strange way to get sympathy. She attempted to appeal her conviction, but dropped the appeal in 2010, saying that she felt as though living in prison was her destiny and that she believed God wanted her to be there. She also finally admitted to the murder and apologized for lying and saying that she didn't do it. In the course of the investigation into Rhonda's murder, police discovered that Mary Jane had been collecting her father's pension checks for years after he was legally declared dead, which led them to reopen the investigation into his disappearance. Eight years after Mary Jane's conviction, the case of her father's disappearance got even more attention. At this point, it's 2018, so this is just last year. For years, Mary Jane and her brother had refused to allow searches on the property where Ed Fonda III was last seen, but the home was sold to a neighbor who agreed to let investigators have full access to the land. Metal detectors and ground-penetrating radar were brought in, but unfortunately revealed nothing. Just two weeks after the search of the property, Mary Jane suffered cardiac arrest and died in the prison infirmary on June 4th, 2018, at the age of 75. Any information that she may have known about her father's disappearance died along with her, but officials say they will still continue in the search to find his remains, despite the fact that Mary Jane has passed away. They still believe that she is a prime suspect in what is likely another murder. That's just so much. I'm so glad that yeah. she finally confessed. I don't know how much that, I'm sure that has to, does that help the family? I don't know if it would, but she was such a blabbermouth. Eventually she was going to accidentally say it, but... I don't know. Yeah. Super sad story, though. And I felt really terrible for Rhonda's parents because they seemed to all be very, very close and they adored her and thought she was doing better. And to have that happen was just horrifying. So, And really literally over nothing. nothing. It was over this this perceived thing that like wasn't even true and just jealousy and... and yeah, and Pastor Shriver did not want you, so you're no, good. No, no. He didn't want anyone like that in the church. No, no. <laughs> that was not even a thing that was going on. Right. So, yeah, just very, very crazy story. And I hope they do find that the man – I hope they do find him one day and, like – Yeah. Are, you know, are able to find – I mean, it's been a long time now, but – Crazier things have happened. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay, so that was the case for this week. Um, thanks for listening, guys. Oh, and next week we have a really cool episode. Very neat. Very special. We do. <laughs> that's all we're going to say. Tune back yes. in next week. 
Yes, it is going to be so fun. So, so, so fun. So before we get out of here, we're going to do what we always do, which is last thing before we go. So we are going to take a few minutes and just talk about nonsense. Things that don't matter. Things that do not matter. So one of our lovely listeners, we actually met in um, Atlanta when we went to our little meetup last year, um, Jennifer Garner. And she brought us the coolest shirts. It's and it's totally the Jennifer yeah. Garner, duh. Yeah. <laughs> um, so she wants to know what is our biggest fear, like within the medical field. So she gave, for example, some people have shots as a fear, some hate the dentist, but she says that she works in the eye field, optometry, and she says she sees some of the biggest babies in the world there. So she wants to know what is our biggest fear within the medical field. What do you got, Mandy? So I have to say, yeah, going to the eye doctor really, really, really stresses me out. I hate that thing they do where they tell you to stick your face in here and then they puff air on your eyeball. Yeah. It scares me every time, even though I know that's what they're doing and I know it's coming. But then like, I feel like I sit there and sit there and sit there and I'm like, okay. And then when it doesn't happen, like right when I think it's going to, then I start getting like really anxious about it because I it's don't like know It's like a jack in the box happen. that you, if you don't know when it's coming, <laughs> if it goes off thing, I totally get that. Like I need like three, yeah. two, one. And you're going to do it. And I can yeah. brace for that. Yeah. So, and they never do, they never give you a countdown. So then I always end up like jumping out of my seat and blinking my eyes. And then they're like, oh no, we didn't get it. You have to do it again. And I'm like, you have to be kidding me. So I hate that. And then I also hate like getting my eyes dilated. I don't like anything like that, like going in my eyes. It just makes me feel really, really weird. I don't like it. It gives, it literally gives me anxiety, like an anxiety attack, like legitimate anxiety attack. So without being boring and stealing yours, mine would probably be the same. Um, when my daughter was one, she um, like was learning, you know, your eyes, your nose and stuff. And so she would point and she pointed and she scratched my cornea. And so I had a corneal abrasion or whatever. So, but it wouldn't heal. So it would just water all the time. And so I went to the d- doctor and they like gave me these drops and antibiotics and it was terrible and wouldn't heal. And my eye would just get like bloody looking. It was terrible. But I had to end up having this procedure on it, and Jennifer probably knows what I'm talking about, where they buff your eye. But oh you have God. to be awake for this, and your eye has to be open. So you can see the buffer <laughs> coming to your eye, and you can't do anything about it. <laughs> it was terrible. It was it was like a horror movie, because like you can't even find a spot to look at. It's coming to your eye. <laughs> Just listening to you describe that is giving me like... I was like, do I take any medicine for this? They're like, no. I'm like, okay. And it's like clawed open your eye. It's so oh horrific. Gosh. Yeah. But I it really helped. It was so hard. Listen, it was the most miserable experience. Like my eye would water all the way and it was just painful all the time. So I, at that point I was like, do whatever you want to do. I don't even care. But it was really, really, really horrific. I can't even think about it. It makes me feel all weird. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. That was awful. My toes are like curling. Like, yeah. So next time you get a puff of air into your... <laughs> precious eyeball just be glad you don't have an actual sander coming at it (laughs) and it made noise too they don't even make it quiet it was just horrifying all the way around that does sound terrible okay okay next question um this is from brianna b and she wants to know what our most memorable pregnancy craving was um i think i had two for my daughter, um, TCBY, which is a yogurt place, the country's best yogurt, I would always, on my way home, I would go like 30 minutes out of my way to, from work to get um, 
a parfait and I would get strawberry yogurt and I would put Reese's in it and gummy bears. It did not make any sense. And it's a terrible combination. And the gummy bears will hurt because they freeze in there. And so I don't know what was going on, but I did that. (laughs) And then with my son, I had, um, I loved, actually I threw up with him. Sorry, that's graphic. But every day of my pregnancy, like my entire pregnancy, I was sick with him. And for some reason I could eat pizza. I don't know why, but pizza, like I liked it. And I would always like not eat anything that would taste as terrible coming up like so that would be how i'd base my food on like pizza is actually not that bad coming up apples are horrible <laughs> i couldn't eat apples for a long time so anyway long story short donato's do you remember donato's it was a thing the restaurant no. that you could like go to and you sit in a booth and you can call them like from your booth why do i think that was cool i don't know but i would get pepperoni and pineapple and i would dip it in ranch don't ask and i would call every day like probably three or four times a week and i would go get that and that was like the only thing i was really eating regularly I would go pick it up. And I called one day and I'm like on my way and I hadn't eaten that day or I'd eaten something I'd already thrown up and was really excited. And they're like, hi, thanks for calling Donato's. We've closed all the Donato's in Florida, but we hope <gasps> I mean it. <laughs> and I don't know how I didn't keep them in business because I was eating there <laughs> all the freaking time. Or they like saw my number and were like, not this one again. We're yeah. just <laughs> She's been puking our parking lot. We can't take this anymore. <laughs> I wonder if they're still open now. Now I'm concerned. <laughs> you have to go look that up. Okay. So Melissa knows I am like completely obsessed with Chipotle and I, I go there so often. And like if you ask me to go out to lunch and a- also ask me to pick the place, that's where we're going to go. So if you want to go anywhere else with me to eat, then you have to pick the place. Like that's just how it's going to work. I don't think we've ever gone anywhere together that hasn't been that or Chipotle. I know. Or even if I bring food to your house, it's usually that. It's like Chipotle or a public sub. So yep. that's it. Those are the only things I eat. So that um, that love actually started in my first pregnancy. And that, like you said, was like one of the only things that I would eat. I would just go like three or four times a week and get Chipotle. And back then I was a lot thinner and I was just eating burritos like every other day. And so I obviously gained a lot of weight in my pregnancy from just eating burritos. Yeah. And then I <laughs> burritos will do that to you. <laughs> and so I had to like really slow down on that after I had my son. But my love for Chipotle has remained ever since then. And I really got like really, really hooked on it in my first pregnancy. And then with my little guy, I was the opposite. I didn't want like spicy, you know, nothing like that. I actually didn't even want Chipotle in my second pregnancy. Not that much. I mean, you still (laughs) not any more than I do like regularly, but with him, it was all sweet stuff. So I wanted to eat sweet tarts all the time. Actual sweet tarts, you know, that come in the little. Yeah, I love those. Yeah. So I want to eat those. And then um, hot fudge sundaes from McDonald's. I would just always go ride through and just be like, just pour all the hot fudge on top and give it to me. I would just drink hot fudge. What percentage of the time do you think that their ice cream machine was broken? So many times. (laughs) And there is nothing worse than, I mean, there's nothing worse than going to McDonald's and having the ice cream machine be broken unless you are 36 weeks pregnant and dying for a hot fudge Sunday. (laughs) Yeah. No, you can't really even beat that. That's the worst. But yeah, anytime they go, I just want to like, peel out in my van and be like, I'm going to show them. I don't. I drive according to the laws. But yeah, it's 
I know. Well, <laughs> yeah, right. Because if they tell you the machine's broken, you're like, okay, sorry for I'm asking. I'm so sorry. Can I help you come <laughs> fix it? I'll come right in. <laughs> yeah. So that's it. So yeah. Wow. Well, this was another informational episode. Oh, and we talked about the chocolate covered cherries last week that I liked for Valentine's Day. But that was another thing I liked. But I, I, I didn't really express my love for them enough to say that in my pregnancy with my daughter, you know how you have to take the glucose test? Well, I ate the entire box, the top and the bottom. And the wait, wait, what are we talking about? Chocolate covered cherries, those things that sorry. So this is no are they like 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 maraschino cherries? Um, first of all, I've never used that word in my life, but yes. (laughs) (laughs) They're the cheap ones, the Aunt Annie ones that I adore. That is disgusting. (laughs) You need to back off of this craving. And so anyway, but I ate the whole box, which is two levels. I don't even want to know how many like servings it is. And the next day I took my glucose test and my doctor called me to tell me I failed. And I was like, um, do you think, is there a chance <laughs> eating an entire box? She's like a row. I was like, no, a box. And she's like, that's definitely why you failed. But you have to take it again. <laughs> so if you've never been pregnant or planning to be pregnant, good luck. It is yeah. a real roller coaster. <laughs> but food is amazing. It tastes so good. <laughs> it is. Unless it tastes terrible because you're puking it and apples are the devil. So. Yeah, that's true. I was actually I was actually one of the lucky ones. I didn't really get morning sickness. That's so I mean, cute. I love when you talk about this. I mean, I did a little bit, but it was gone by the time I was like 11 weeks. I, I honestly cannot imagine anything worse than being like vomity all the time. The for only like thing months. worse is being vomity, like 16 weeks and two days for my daughter. I totally remember that because I had to go to the hospital. I was dehydrated. And then with my son – nothing's worse than puking and your daughter coming in to like talk to you and ask questions and you just have your head in the toilet. You're like, I just can't do this anymore. I really, really can't. <laughs> but she wouldn't even stop and like be like, are you okay? Because it just happened all the time. So she would just. <laughs> Everyone have a great week. Bye guys. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.